paragliding is kind of like that, like that, that super hot girlfriend, you know what I mean? You're so psyched about her, you know, and she's so, you know, she's so hot and amazing and you're just like, oh, I just want to spend so much time with her and you know what I mean? And, <laughs> and, and, and like climbing's become more like, you know, like where that eventually that hot girlfriend, if she's actually an awesome person, eventually you like fall in love with her and you get married and you have this like long-term relationship and it's, you know, obviously it's not going to be like, oh my God, we just have to bang 24 seven. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, it's yeah, going to yeah. become like, it's going to become like, oh, a couple times a week is enough. And like, you know, but, but the love is deeper. Some funny words from Cedar Wright. He was on last week's podcast. If you missed that one, go ahead and grab it. It's uh it's really excellent. Welcome to the Cloud-Based Mayhem, another episode of the Mayhem, uh, where I deconstruct excellence in human flight, try to get the best pilots in the world on here, whether they be hang gliders, paragliders, what have you, and find out what makes them great. This show is fantastic. It's with my great mentor and friend, Nate Scales. We sat down at the house here and did it once and realized my recorder was all screwed up. And uh, it was a real honor to do it again because he has just got the most amazing stories. Uh, we get into all kinds of fantastic stuff here. His one really sketchy reserve toss uh, in the valley. Uh, his long history of uh, comps and flying with guys like Robbie Whittle and Chris Santa Croce and Othar Lawrence and uh, you know, a lot of legends over the years. We talk about his 2007 X-Alps campaign and a whole bunch of other stuff. I think you're going to really enjoy this talk. Uh, and without further ado, Nate Scales. Hi, Gamp. How's it going? Great, man. How are you? Good. Good to have you on the show. I've been really excited about doing this for a long time, and uh, let's let's just jump right into it. You have a pretty interesting and long history in paragliding. Can we start at the beginning? Yeah, I started in the spring of 1991. I was working in a ski shop in Sun Valley, Idaho. Um, a guy came into the shop and asked one of the guys I was working with if he wanted to try paragliding and the guy said no no not at all and I was listening to the conversation and I said I'd really like to learn paragliding up. and he said okay and he uh he took me down to the park in town here and he showed me what a paraglider was at that point it was a rock climbing harness and an 11 cell glider <laughs> and uh we practice and in, in, we practice an inflation and the next day we walked up Timber Gulch, about 400 feet, yeah. and uh, he launched me off the hill three times. And the day after that we went up Greenhorn Gulch, which was about 1,200 feet, and I flew down and he said, now you know everything I know, you should go to Salt Lake City where they know a little bit more. <laughs> you tapped his, uh, you tapped his yeah, potential. I tapped his knowledge, but um, <laughs> from... From the first moment, I was so excited. That first day I went into, uh, after flying, my roommate worked at Atkinson's. And we went into, I went into Atkinson's and he was a checker. And across the store, I just screamed, I flew! I fucking flew, man! It was so cool! Um, 
So I was pretty immediately hooked at the very beginning. Right. And yeah. then you, <laughs> you were saying you moved to Salt Lake like the next day. Yeah. So the next day I, I went to Salt Lake um, to see if I could get more of this paragliding. I bought the glider off of my instructor. Mm -hmm. What um, was the name of the glider? Condor SP-11. <laughs> An 11 cell glider because it had awesome. 11 cells the last good cross-country flight i had in the wood river valley this summer hitchhiking home i started talking to the driver and it was his glider that i had bought vance hannawald unbelievable 25 20, years later five years later i meet the dude wow that's amazing <laughs> so i went to salt lake um there were people flying at the point it was nothing like it is now but you know, every day somebody would come out to fly, and I thought, this is, this is awesome. It was like Santa Croce around then? Totally. Really? Yeah, he oh, was okay. my first friend. Right. Um, he was charging as hard or harder then than he is now. He was right. the man, you yeah. know, was and still is the man. It was pretty sure. fun. Yeah. Nobody believed he would, uh, he would live. He was 18 or 19. He lived in an RV. And he did exactly what he wanted mm. and nothing but what he wanted. <laughs> right. <laughs> um, and there was another school there, uh, Fred and Claudia Stockwell. Yeah. And I I went to them and, and they were looking for an instructor. And I said, well, I, I think that I would be a really good person to be an instructor because I've just learned and I understand what all these people are going through. And... Uh, <laughs> I don't know why. I've got three days. But they agreed to give me a job and a place to live, and I came back and I, that weekend I moved out of my house here and I moved into Utah and made paragliding my life. So I moved down there that first summer. I I taught for them. I lived with them. I flew every day, and that that summer instead of there being a super final, there was the World Cup final. Um, it was the last event of the year, and that year it was in the Owens Valley. So in the Owens, I saw cross-country done proper, mm -hmm. um, and I was trying to go to college at that time. So I went back to Salt Lake and went to the University of Utah and flew around. Um, there was a lot more cross-country going on with hang gliders at that point in the game. So I learned to fly hang gliders, um, and went down to Flagstaff, and driving through Flagstaff, there was a magnificent sky. And then driving in Flagstaff, I saw there was a college, so I went to school in Flagstaff for a while, <laughs> thinking that I could learn to fly cross-country and go to college. Did poorly at both of those for a little while. <laughs> um, and then, somewhere during that time, I had the good fortune to meet Robbie Whittle. Legend. Yeah. And Othar was around then, and I, God, that must have been like 93 or 94, Robbie moved to the States, um, I moved back to Sun Valley, Othar moved to Sun Valley, and we had, that was really fortunate because it was just, it was right after Robbie's crest, you know, he just... Yeah. He'd become the first person to win the Hang Gliding World Championships and the Paragliding World Championships, and he was really good. He was he was designing gliders for gin. Um, for a while, he was 
He then transferred to Firebird. Mm-hmm. I went and worked with him at Firebird for a spring. That was really fun, and it was... Where was that? That was in in the Tegelberg in Germany. Hmm. Um, you know, so... Did you fly quite a bit in the Alps then? No. Hmm. No, uh-oh. We, we flew the Tegelberg a little bit, and we flew a site in Austria called Bach. Okay. That I'm sure people know of, but I... I have a picture of it in my mind. I bet it looks nothing like I remember. Yeah. Um, because it was just after Robbie's crest, we would do a lot of flying. We never flew cross country. Huh. We lived in Sun Valley, and we never flew cross country in Sun Valley. I mean, it's something that I got to hang out with Othar again this summer, and we were talking about it for a while. We never flew cross country here. Wow. We went all. Just, over. It wasn't on your radar. You just didn't know. And it was big, and it yeah, was scary, scary, and we were with Robbie, and he didn't want to spend the day flying cross-country, so we would go fly, and then we'd land and do something else. Um, so, you know, he he taught us about comp flying, and he took us around and showed us how to have a good time, and it just kind of progressed, you know, and I kept coming back to Sun Valley, and I was aware that it was good, and... But not from a cross-country standpoint. It was more just, it was a cool place. It was a cool place. Fly gliders. And the hang gliders were flying cross-country. No way. We used to have hangies here. Right? Yeah. I always forget that. Yeah. You know, Chris Kastner flew from Greenhorn to Smiley Creek on the day of his wedding, like 40 miles, and it was like the coolest thing anybody had ever done in his hang glider. So we were, we knew that it could happen, but we weren't doing it. Mm. Um... And then Hansa started coming here to fly tandems, and in the usual Hansa way, he started pushing it, and we we became aware that cross country was when possible. Was this late nineties? Yeah, this must have been mid nineties. Mid nineties, okay. Ninety six, ninety seven, ninety eight, and we started flying cross country, and it we started seeing, and we started learning, and it started getting better. And now, after 20 years, it is so fascinating because now we're learning. Mm. I mean, I feel like maybe just this year, I think Farmer gets all the credit for it, but we can't fly roads. Yeah. We have to fly over the mountains because that's where all the lift is. And mm-hmm. and holy shit, if... If we're just learning this now in 20 years, imagine what we can learn in the next 10, 20 years. It's it's magnificent. Yeah, yeah. And so let, let's rewind because we're, we're going to talk a lot about the Wood River Valley because this place is badass. But re, rewind a bit to like, so you, know, you, you saw cross country, you got super into it, you came back to Sun Valley. Um, when did it all start? clicking for you in terms of like when did the distance stuff start happening and, and how like I know comps have been a big part of your history and you know is that more recently or is that was that happening all back then because you saw the World Cup like right off the bat yeah you know, I Collins, but. pretty quickly realized that competitions were fun mm-hmm. super fun mm-hmm. um, you know I I didn't know then now how much I know that you learn at a contest I've used this quote before, but they've got to be, they're these super smart people, um, you know, that can figure out how to fly cross country, 
but they're crazy enough that they're willing to fly cross-country. It's a really good combination of people that are crazy enough to jump off the side of a hill and, and smart enough to get a paraglider safely to the ground two, three, four, five, six, seven hours later. And give me some names. Who was around back then? Ah, uh, let's see. Urs Hari was there on the brand new Adele Super Space okay. in a full, like, downhill ski suit because we didn't have pods then. Yeah. Um, let's see. From the U.S., John Bouchard was good. Santa was good. Um, Bob Schick from Salt Lake City was good. Robbie Whittle was there, um, and Olivier, the designer from Niviek? from Niviek, was there. No way. He was like an eighteen or nineteen year old kid. Awesome. I got to hang out with him, but to see people doing it proper was so awesome and mm. so fun, and they were good and they weren't scared mm -hmm. and competitive enough that you know they want to push each other. You know, I think. I think in the U.S. we're really lucky that uh, it used to be super competitive. When I first learned to fly, there was there was two. It was fascinating. There was two camps. There was the the Adele camp of Greg Smith and Robbie Whittle and Dave Bridges and Othar and myself. Um, and then there was the John Yates Pro Design Camp of Josh Cohn, Zach Hoisington, uh, and and it was pretty funny. At that point, it it wasn't it wasn't friendly. If you saw one of the other guys on the side of the road, really, you would drive right on by, give them the bird, <laughs> throw a beer at their head, no problem. <laughs> Um, you know, really, yeah, Isn't that interesting. Wow. Was, I think of paragliding is just this incredibly, you know, that everybody's really concerned about everyone and, and everybody's helping each other out, and not even a little bit wow. back then, so different. Um, you know, and so we've seen that morph a lot, but the competitions were always fun, hmm. you know, there's no there's no other group of people I know that want to get together and go hard for a week, you know, charge. There's, there's no waiting. Mm -hmm. You know, everybody knows the truck goes up the hill at nine. The window opens at noon. The starts at one. There, there's no dicking around. And yeah. so for me, the, the competitions were really, really fun. Um, it was a good place to go. It and was a great place to learn. Yeah. Great place to learn. I, because I had Robbie as a mentor, I I learned to fly pretty well, and in those beginning contests, I I did well. But originally, before GPSs, we had a camera. <laughs> I love this. <laughs> and I I took more bad pictures than anybody. I I could have won several contests if if I hadn't taken pictures of my thumb. <laughs> of my knee, pulled out the camera and watched all the batteries just rain to the ground. <laughs> pulled out the camera, took the picture, let go of the camera, and watched the knot that I had tied come untied and the camera just fall away. It was it was so soul crushing. But and where? Where 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 have you flown comps? 
You know, we used to have contests in Telluride mm. and Aspen mm. and Chelan. God, the good old days. Oh, man, it was so... If anybody's out there, please run contests in Colorado, please. <laughs> oh, it was... So, it is such spectacular flying. Yeah. 96, I graduated college, and that winter, I went to World Cup. I went to the World Cup in Brazil. It was magnificent. It was fun. It was a party. The flying was good, the food was good, the music was good, the girls were good, everything was good. And then we went to Venezuela and it was really, really bad. The flying was bad, the food was bad, the hotel was bad, and the memories, everything there was really bad. And then from there, I went to Europe and worked for and with Robbie, who was the chief designer at Firebird at that time. Okay. Um... And so I got to learn about trimming gliders with him. Um, you know, he would test the gliders. And then when all the testing was done, I was the inexperienced guy to see what would happen when they released the gliders to the masses. Okay. So that was... You were the masses. Yeah. Yeah. That was really fun. Yeah. I got to learn a lot. I got really to learn a lot. fly all over Europe. Cool. Um, I got to hang out with Robbie. I got to be at Firebird. Yeah. That was really neat. And this was kind of in Robbie's, was, what year, was that kind of his, was that when he was winning everything? That was 97, so that was after his heyday. Okay. Um, you know, I think in 98 was when he introduced the serial class. Okay. He was still good, and if, you know, at that point, anything he wanted to win, he could. Yeah. But he had way more important things than winning on his mind at that point. Right. Okay. And then I liked the Wood River Valley in the summer, so I came back here. And so here, then, is that Hansa, Othar, is that that time frame? Yeah, yeah okay. so 97, 98, Othar was here. I mean, a lot of people don't realize that I think the Wood River Valley has probably had more national champions than anywhere else. Hmm. Othar was national champion when he lived here. Dave Bridges was two times national champion when he lived here. Farmer was national champion when he lived here. But I don't know of any other flying site. Hmm. Maybe with Josh, all of Josh's wins. But he doesn't have a home site. Yeah, right. Yeah. In 2007, I got to go to the X-Alps in Europe. And that was magnificent. It's Tell me about the X-Alps. That... The X-Alps was wild. It was cool. It was... Because you were there with Hansa. Yeah. Is that his first? No. That was both of our first. Both of your first. Yeah, my first time. My yeah. only time, his first time. Yeah. Um, and at that point, it was a really different race. Yeah. It was an adventure more than a race. Mm -hmm. um, you had guys like Urs Locher, who did it in sandals. You know, and he got to the end and he was so disappointed that it was over because all he wanted to do was fly home. Uh, Alex Hofer won that year. He won the X-Alps in a harness that he had won World Cup races in. Uh, so we had... It wasn't exactly the technological no, phenomenon. No, we had weight gear, but it wasn't anything like today. Yeah. Um... God, it was... I mean, my, my harness was, was heavy, and I was like nine. Yeah. You know, it's crazy. It's <laughs> just, you're carrying nothing now. Nothing. It was such... And I went... 
I went in such a different way than, than like you went this year. Mm-hmm. My supporter was my wife. <laughs> we had a year and a half old baby in the car. <laughs> and it's somewhere along the line, I thought it would be a good idea to bring my dad to be the babysitter. <laughs> but my year and a half old kid hated my dad at that point in her life. <laughs> my dad smoked cigarettes. My wife hates smoking. His temper is like this long. (laughs) He would scream at people. My wife was furious. I would leave in the morning and they would go to the nearest pool for the day. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, a little bit different. (laughs) She would come and look for me in the afternoon or evening to see if I needed some food. She didn't have a cell phone. We didn't have radios. Quite often she would call the Red Bull organization and ask where I was. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, just for for hilarity's sake, you got to tell me about walking into Grindelwald. (laughs) So, God, these are some pretty funny stories. It It was the middle of the race, and I had hiked up the Grimsel, um... The night before, taken off on... It's important to tell everybody, too, that this was before we had the mandatory rest. You guys could go as much as you wanted to go whenever you wanted to go, right? Yeah. Yeah. All night long. So I'd had... I'd gotten some information to get up to the top of the Grimsel Mm -hmm. the night before. The pass before the Grimsel. There's the Grimsel and the Furka. Yeah. So I'd gotten some good information that if I walked on the train tracks... I wouldn't have to do the switchbacks that the road goes up. Well, the reason the train tracks are so flat is because it goes to a tunnel. <laughs> and you're not allowed to use tunnels in the X-Alps. So at like 2 in the morning, I get to the tunnel, and I'm like, holy shit. I have like 3,000 feet to walk up a, a dewy, wet, steep grassy slope to get to the camper. So I had a big night that night. Yeah. I got up to the pass, spent, slept for maybe an hour, got up in the morning. I did not want to walk down the Furka, down the Furka and then up the Grimsel again to get in because we had to go to the Eiger that year. Oh, okay. Um, So I walked out onto the boulder field. I was on this massive boulder field. It was, it was pretty much unlaunchable. But it was for sure that I was going to launch. There was no question about it. And there was two old Swiss couples, and I speak no Swiss German, mm-hmm. and they spoke no English. But I was able to communicate, okay, if you guys could hold my glider up, I can jump across the tops of the boulders. <laughs> and I jumped across the tops of the boulders and soared in the morning, didn't go down, made it across the per- Furka and down into... The valley there going towards... Uh, nasty, that's a nasty valley, towards yeah. uh, Interlaken. Yes, exactly. Yeah. There's a Ooh. nice town there. And lots of big power, power lines, lines everywhere. lakes and nasty. So, I landed. I shouldn't have landed. And I walked all day and I walked up into, into Fiersht and I was coming over. This Alex. is now the next day. I've been, I've been walking for a day and a half and it's hot and I'm tired and I come into to Grindelwald, and it's Swiss Independence Day. And who the Swiss have ever claimed independence from, 
I don't know. But it was rad because I'm coming over the pass and I'm walking down into Grindelwald and there's a full moon coming up over the Eiger and there's fireworks going off everywhere and it was it was one of those cool X Alps moments. And I get into town and it's like two thirty and the bars are getting out and I'm I'm not unpleasant, but I'm I'm exhausted. Yeah, Yeah. you're smashed. And this pack of like four dudes comes out and they see me and they come over and they can tell that I'm different. (laughs) And they start they start talking to me and then they start picking on me (laughs) and they start pushing me and I've got my poles and I've got my glider bag on and I just drop my poles and I'm like, come on, fuckers, let's go. Me and all of you right now, I have nothing to lose. You kick the shit out of me and I'm out of this fucking race. Let's fucking go. And they looked at me like I was the craziest person they had ever seen. Which you were. <laughs> and they walked with me for like a hundred yards and that was the end of it. And it was the last... <laughs> yeah, it was the only time since the seventh grade, the closest I've ever come to getting in a fight. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. I love it. It was my one exit out of the race. <laughs> it was it was interesting, you know, when we were going through all the training and stuff and talking about the X Alps, you know, I talked about it endlessly with you to get advice and stuff this winter. It was such a different your experience was so much different than Will Gads. You know, when I did the, the Rocky Summers with Will, he this every day he said don't do it. Don't go do it. Don't go. He, he hated it. Yeah. He hated that race. And I would loved it. say to anybody that has any interest in the possibility of the adventure to do it. Oh, I just thought it was the most, most terrific thing yeah. I've ever done. It was incredible. There's only one way to get to that place, you know? Yeah, exactly. You, you will get to that place. Yeah. And yeah. there's no shortcuts. Yeah. You know, the, and that place is magnificent. You just have to do it. It, yeah. it is magnificent. Let's rewind a little bit. I, I want to talk about, you know, you, of course, your, your big flight here, and, and we'll, we'll, we'll fast forward to that. But um, accidents, you you had a, a massive blowout here that I want to hear about because that's, that's pretty terrific. And then have you ever been hurt? No, I've broken a wrist. Okay. Um I've hurt my knee a little bit in Aspen crashing once, mm-hmm. um, but no, knock on wood, no. uh uh-uh. Yeah, and you had, a, tell me about your blowout here, your res- you've only thrown once. Yeah, Okay. one time about in reserve. Uh, it, was, it was on the R10, um, at the beginning of the two-liner, it was that first year of the R10, and it was a north day here in Sun Valley, which we've learned is awful is a little bit bumpy mm-hmm. um and it was post frontal which makes it a little bit windy and bumpy here and i was flying north i'd left the wood river valley and i was in the sawtooth valley and i was trying to get up to stanley and the area had burned the year before and so you were I, over the white clouds yeah i was over on the white cloud side of the valley and the area had burned and i I flew back in and it was it was a super strong day. You know, it was middle of summer, it was post frontal, um, and it was really strong and I was I found the thermal and I was turning left and I was trying to core the thermal and I was I just kept getting the first turn I got bumped out of the core. 
And so I elongated my circle a little bit, you know, and adjusted it. And the second turn, I got pushed out of the core again. And so I adjusted my circle. It was a ripper. It was a really strong climb. Yeah. Super duper strong climb, you know. Um, I mean, the, the surrounding air was going up at, like, I had eight on my averager. And when I'd hit the core, you know, even for those three or four seconds on my 15-second averager, it could bump it up to 12. Whoa. Screamer. Um, yeah, it yeah. was really, really strong. And the third time, I adjusted, and I buried the brake, you know, so that hoping I could stay in the core, and I'm sure I spun it a little bit, Yeah. and it broke back, and it shot really hard because it shot... The energy of the spin and coming out of the corner, or out of the core, and it shot super hard. You were probably spinning the same way as the, yeah, okay. Yeah, you know, so I'm coming out to the left, and I spun it left, and the thermal was going behind me right, and it shot super hard. So hard that it pulled my brake knot up into the pulley. Holy shit. And just stuck. And so I fell through and swung through and it broke back behind me because I was in really strong air. Mm-hmm. And it surged again. And because my my knot was stuck in the pulley, I couldn't Catch input. I, and I didn't think to grab the bees. And it collapsed out in front of me. And I fell through, and it shot. Now we're on the third, third shoot yep. thing, and it went way out in front of me, and then it just propellered. And as it propelled, out in front, out in front Woo. as it propellered, the lines just started going ding, 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 and I was like, breaking, oh. breaking, yeah, holy, lines shit. were just popping. Because oh it, those lines were so small, and there was so much tension as it's propelling out in front of me, and I was like, I, I don't have that move. <laughs> so I threw my rescue, and I, if for any of you who's thrown your rescue, this is going to sound dumb, but that second of deployment is forever. <laughs> yeah. And I've always heard, you need to grab your bridle, but I don't know what kind of harness these people have, so I'm reaching behind my head, (laughs) trying to grab the bridle, and the glider is going full-on batshit crazy out in front of me, and the forest that I'm over is burned out from the year before, and... I was high. Just a bunch of stakes. Yeah. You know, I was probably at 12 when the episode started. And, you know, I probably threw it above 11. Mm-hmm. Yeah, a long time. Yeah, to look down. But by the grace of God, I came down, and I'm not even religious, <laughs> in this area the size of like a two-car garage that had no nothing. Oh, my. Yeah. On the side of the hill, and I landed soft as could be. Reserves work. Reserves work, yeah. and walked out. No probably problem. walked for four hours to the road, and the first car that passed me, once I got to a road, drove me. Unbelievable. And so, what was, what was the aftermath of that like? Like, if you, 
Um, did that change anything for you? Did it freak you out? Or, did, or have you been through, these are maybe two different questions. Have you been through a time where it's been like, yeah, I'm not into this right now. Yeah, for sure. Um, so to answer that question, because I've spent a lot of time thinking about this lately. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I think that what we do in, what we do in paragliders is push it. Mm-hmm. And that's what we enjoy doing. Mm-hmm. And it's super duper fun. But the risk is massive, mm-hmm. you know? Um, I think it's kind of fucked up because the more I think about it, the reward is is inconsequential, you know? Um, but yeah, there are times when I feel... Wait, what? The reward is inconsequential? So the reward is not enough to justify the risk that we're taking? Or it is? It is, but what is the reward? Mm -hmm. You know, the reward is that smile at the end of the day. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, the reward is being at cloud pace on the Idaho-Montana border and knowing that you're the only person in the sky for 100 miles. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, what is that reward beneficial to humanity? Ah, okay, no, but but it's pretty special. Is it maybe what I live for? I'm unfortunately afraid. Mm. Um, so yeah, did that make me step back a little bit at that point? Have there been times where I've stepped back massively? Um, and that's a pretty personal thing. Yeah, and I, you know, I I think it's really hard. I think as as beginners. People, they don't have the time frame or the patience, and and the risk is really big. Mm-hmm. And then as intermediates, they still don't have the the time frame or the patience. And I, I think I'm really lucky that I've played this game for a little while now. And when it when it feels good, God, it is so good. And if it doesn't feel good, you know, I'm not smart enough to. S- to say that always, but I think that I, I'm aware to stop and say, Hey, today's not my day. You mm-hmm. know, it's, I, I'm not on like I need to be to do the things I want to do. Is that, we're, we're getting a little bit ahead of where I wanted to be, but I, I, I want to hear this anyway. Is that one of the reasons you've, you know, you were, you, you've, you know, flew an R11, you've been flying ice peaks, you've been flying comp wings for a long time. And it, we love flying complex. They're different. They're a different animal. But um, this year, you 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 backed way off. You were flying a mentor in the beginning of the season. And now you're flying a Triton. Um, you know, I don't think you've flown B or C in probably what a decade. Yeah, yeah. more more fifteen years. Fifteen years. Um, is that part of it? Is that is it because? Um, are you just if you just decided you want to be more safe, or if you decided that it's just. Uh, what have you decided? Why? Because they are different gliders. They're they are different, different gliders. <clears throat> um, you know, when Russ Ogden came here for the last World Cup and gave his talk, we were all on, you know, comp gliders, myself included. Which, by the way, I'm going to cut in here. The, that talk, for all of you who are interested, is on 
my website, cloudbasedmayhem.com. It's a 45-minute video. I got super lucky to turn a camera on that day. It is amazing. It's a must-watch. So check it out if you want to. It's fantastic. And he start, he talked a lot about these gliders, you know, comp gliders and and how on your game you have to be to fly a comp glider. And I... Are comp gliders... Paragliding's dangerous. Mm-hmm. Are comp gliders any more dangerous? Maybe a little bit. But for the level... You know, I'm a middle-aged, middle-class white guy. I've got two kids and a wife. I would like to go paragliding every day, but it doesn't happen. Um, so I... I think to stack the odds in my favor, I am a little bit safer flying a certified glider, you know? And do I think a certified glider as opposed to a comp glider? You know, I, I think I think today's comp gliders are super duper hot. Mm-hmm. Um, everybody I know who's flown a comp glider this year has crashed them, mm-hmm. you know, or, or thrown a rescue or... Or come down hard. Is that bad? No, you know, it's back to that risk and reward that we were talking about earlier. For those people, the the risk is worth the reward, you know. And like our local pilot, Mitch, who flies paragliders all year round. Mm -hmm. He does acro. He does tandem. He Every day that's flyable, he's flying a paraglider. Do I think it's... Suitable for Mitch to fly an R11? I really do. Um, You know, but I'm not that guy. Mm. When I see people... When I hear people bitching about comp gliders, I, I really think that's inappropriate. Because I think for people like Mitch, um, and I don't, definitely don't mean to put words in his mouth here, and the guys that are pushing it on the World Cup, they are looking for that highest level of performance. Mm-hmm. They are looking for the cutting edge. They don't want an ENB glider. Um, you know, they're not... That's not going to fulfill them with what they're looking for. Mm-hmm. So I, I think to limit it is crazy... Because I think that most of the people that are doing the limiting are way more dangerous on their ENB glider because they're not as current or aware of the the conditions, the circumstances, and the glider as the people that choose to fly hot gliders. Mm-hmm. You know, those gliders have a whole different feel and it, be- it becomes pretty obvious pretty quickly that it is a different beast that you're flying on. Um, You know, and so for me, I chose this year... Well, I've watched the Mentor Mania, you know, in Europe for years. Mm -hmm. And I wanted to see what they were doing, you know. How are those guys flying so far on ENBs? And now this year, flying an ENC glider, I... My own personal conclusion, and it might be wrong, is that, yeah, the flying in Europe is different. Um, do I invite those people that are doing huge flights on bees to come over here and show us how to do it? Yes, please. We would love to have you here. And I think you can do it here, but we don't yet have it figured out. And the flying is different. Um, 
Do I think I would have been safer this year on an EMB than I am on an ENC? No. Um, you know, I even, I think a little bit the opposite. I'm used to shorter brake travel and having a little bit more feel, a little bit more reach to look for strong bits of air. And I, you know, I, I feel that I, flying the trike instead of the mentor, I made the best decision I could this year. The, so transitioning from your big flight three years ago, you went 199 miles deep into Montana, which we'll talk about. Um, what are your, have your goals changed? You know, back then, um, that that happened on a great day, and that probably didn't wasn't your plan when you launched off the mountain. It never is for any of us. You know, we hook into the right day and things go right, and it's just terrific. But um, have your if your if tomorrow we had the perfect day, what's what's your what are you dreaming about now? Have, have things been scaled back? Also, because you're scaling things back with the wing. Or, I understand you. You scaled things back a little bit because you're you're not getting the hours. You're feeling you're just making a smart decision that you're not as current. This is where I need to be. I'm on a wing. Have your goals changed too? No. Okay. I want the Idaho record back from you so bad. <laughs> <laughs> I know you do. I, uh, this spring, I my goal, my dream day when you went to Europe and Farmer was going to Texas was that someday at the beginning of July, I would get the Idaho record back, Farmer would get the world's record, and you would make it to the raft in Monaco. <laughs> That'd be pretty good. <laughs> um, so, no. Yeah. I want to fly... No, I, I think if anything... And now that I'm 42, I'm like, holy shit, I'm a middle-aged white guy. The next step after middle-aged white guy is old white guy. And my goals are bigger and more than ever before. I I hope that I have a little bit of experience now so that I can choose to push those goals on the right day. Um, you know, when the conditions are appropriate. Um, no, I... No, my goals haven't. You're as, I mean, it seems to me like you're as passionate as you've ever been, if not more so. Yeah, I'm, I'm as hungry as ever. You know, I, I do... I, I don't know. So th this, is, this is something that I think people ask me all the time, like, what, you know, and I've got a fraction of the experience in the years that you do and Farmer does and Nick does and... Um, but I, I, I keep, I, I've been asked, I was asked this morning, you know, how are you still so fired up about this? Like, talk about that because it's just like, I find that it, it, we're participating in something that there is, the learning curve is still just radical. It's yeah. so steep. It's so phenomenal. I mean, the more we learn in this game, I feel like the more we become aware that we can learn. Mm -hmm. um, you know, like I was talking about earlier, we're just, in 20 years now, we're just figuring out where to fly, that you can't fly roads. Mm -hmm. You know, I, we have, we have Kriegel, you know, who we can look at and, and he, he's doing it so much better than we are. It makes it so fun. You know, what, we we're just at the beginning of the learning curve, you know. I half the air is going up and half the air is going down. 
why can't we just fly straight in the going up air and quit dicking around flying circles? You know? Like Kriegel does. Yeah, totally. Yeah, he's the only one that does that. Um, <laughs> you know, we're just learning about gliding, and I feel... I feel like I'm just learning how to use a speed bar really effectively. I mean, you know, the art... The art of paragliding is now coming out. The subtleties, um, the the beauty of it, you know, is something that keeps... I like mountains. Mm. I think I like mountains more than anything in the world. And a paraglider enables me to spend time and have interactions in and with the mountains like nothing else on Earth. So even if I did think that I had learned everything I could about paragliding, there's still the whole alpine interaction that is limitless. And I, I really believe that after 20 years, I'm just learning to fly a paraglider. Yeah, yeah. We're, we're 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 just starting out. It seems like yeah, you know, it's like the it's like the beginning of something really special. The gliders are getting so good, you know. And and on the other hand of it, on the other side of that coin, having now done it for a while, when I do sink out, you know, which happens on the day you guys flew to Montana in the contest this summer, uh, it still stings. <laughs> It's kind of like getting kicked in the balls, but it's all right. It doesn't, it doesn't bother me. It doesn't bum me out. You know, I, I, maybe it's fatalistic, but it happens to everybody. Yeah. And so you it just. It even happened to Greenland in the x this year. <laughs> for the first time ever. <laughs> you, you just come back for more and, and like everything in life, we probably, we learn quicker from our failures than we do from our successes. Sure. Yeah. And so, you know, uh, it's taken me a lot of failures and, and there's a lot more to come, but that's, that's where we're learning and that's all right, you know? Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, been at this since 91. It's probably hard to even remember this, but what would you have told your 50-hour self or your 91, I can't do the math, your 20-year-old self? 25-year-old yeah, self, you know, when you were starting out, what would you have told me, you know, when I first moved here, when I had very little experience? There were the people that are just starting out, like, where, where did you, what have you learned along the way that you've thought, hmm, this is what I would have done. Slow down. Yeah. Patience. You know, nothing, nothing good comes fast. Um, if you get hurt, this game is no fun. The consequences are really big. They're really sudden. You know, if... If you can live to fly tomorrow, that is... That's really good, you know? I, um, take it easy. I see you... Were you aggressive when you started out? Super. Yeah. Um, terrible. Yeah. Bad, you know, but really aggressive, you know, I, I'd been flying for Didn't know four or five months and I went to the World Cup in the Owens Valley and I wanted to be like those guys. Um, and I saw somebody die there and I was like, oh my God. But now having been in this game for a while, you know, be, 
Be patient. If it's not good, don't go paragliding. Scary paragliding sucks. You know, there, there are a lot of good days, but you have to wait for them. You know, it's, it's now September like 4th or 5th. And we had almost no good flying in August. Um, and that's okay. You know, yeah, it was a total bummer and it was a wash, but I would much rather be sitting here now looking at, look, we had no good paragliding. I heard, I've heard several stories of people that came through town, you know, and went up the hill and, you know, there were multiple Enzo stalls and spins and... Fortunately, I don't believe anybody got hurt or no rescue tosses, but, you know, in the last month, a lot of people got really scared yeah. trying to push it. And, and scared is, in, in a lot of ways, just as bad as getting hurt, you know? It's pretty yeah. hard to get that head back. Yeah. <clears throat> um, you know, and... Wait. There's time to push it. You know, and I'm definitely yeah. not saying don't push it. Yeah. But push it when it makes sense. You know, most importantly, push it when you feel good. You know, when you're aware and... You're on it. Yeah, you know, there's... You're on it and you're not. All this safety talk lately, how we need to make this safer. I don't know if we can make it safer. Mm -hmm. And I think that a lot of the fun of our sport is that... The focus that's required. Mm-hmm. You know, everything else we do, do, everything else I do during the day, I'm spacing you out. Think about and other I, stuff. I start at something and then I buzz off to do something else and I'm daydreaming of something. But the reason for me paragliding is so fun is because I'm all in. Okay. You know, it. I don't have a lot of bandwidth. But all of my bandwidth is going to flying the paraglider and and climbing the paraglider and keeping the paraglider open and gliding the paraglider and where the next lift is and and what my options are and and I'm able to do that because I know if I make bad decisions I could get hurt or die. And that is I don't mean to sound dumb, but that's a big part of the fun of it, you know? That is that focus, that clarity. Your quote from the Sierra Safari. Yeah. People spend a long time trying to learn to meditate and... To be present. And we just... I just take off and shit's okay. Yeah. I don't have mortgage problems and work problems and, and phone calls that I need to return... You're I fine. need to go paragliding and it's going to be good. <laughs> <laughs> Very cool. Um, this is one of the things I wanted to ask you. If there have been like turning points, you know, when you look back at the last 20 some odd years of fl- flying paragliders, um, have there been moments or mentors or times where, where things have been like, I'm at the next level. This is an, I'm, this is something, was it the big flight to Montana? Was that, uh, or were were there times where you've been kind of like, wow, I've kind of got this in a, in a, you know, I've figured something out. No, I think like we were talking about earlier, the, the more I learn, the more I see that we can learn. Um, 
and no, I, I don't feel like we're very good yet. Yeah. You know, I don't feel like I'm very good yet, and I don't mean to include you in that because maybe you feel like you're pretty good, but I don't feel like we're no, very good yet. No, I don't feel like we're very good yet. <laughs> I think that we can get a lot better. Yeah. Um, so has that moment of clarity come yet? No. Have there been some mentors? Yeah. Um, Robbie Whittle, you know, was a really good mentor. Um, my first instructor, Claudia Stockwell, she, uh, she gave me some good advice. Um, put all of your flying stuff away before you get fucked up after flying. Forgotten that. Um... <laughs> You know, Othar was a really good mentor in pushing it. Hansa, Hansa's been a really good mentor. Mm. I think having you here has really helped, you know? I, I don't... For a long time, it's always been me here. Mm -hmm. You know, and I had Hansa come, and that was fun, and I learned a lot from Hansa. Um... And then, well, I mean, in the beginning it was, it was Robbie and he came through and then he left and Othar came through and he left and I learned a lot from him and, and then Farmer came and he's still here and, and now I'm really starting to learn from Farmer that's taken a long time. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, now that you're here, you have a whole different outlook on it and I, I've learned a lot from watching you fly. Mm. Um... No, you know, uh, Belcourt, maybe he's all of our mentor. Yeah, he's everybody's mentor. Um, you know, he's teaching us about style. Mm -hmm. Aesthetic. Uh, yeah, which is maybe in our sport where there's, there's no real rewards. That is, that's the best thing we can have is style. Mm -hmm. um, you know, I, I think now with Mitch being good... I, I'm pretty excited to learn from Mitch. Mm -hmm. um, Josh Cohn is an endless mentor. Mm -hmm. That guy has more style than anybody. Yeah. <laughs> you know, that, that style is endless and inspiring and, yeah. and really, really cool. Um, yeah, you know, I... Yeah, the... I'm inspired by people that want to push it. Mm. Um, and those people have to be smart enough to know when to push it. Because dumb fucks that are pushing it all the time, I think, are just dumb fucks. But people that can push it on good days and do cool things are... Oh, man, you know, we're, we're at, the, at the tip of the iceberg. Uh, Cody almost flew to Jackson the other day. Yeah. It's so exciting to see yeah. that kind of stuff. It was really cool. When we were driving down to start 500 Miles of Nowhere, we were, you know, as we often do, talking about accidents. And this has been a big year. We just got that email from Ushpa that there's been 14 deaths or something. You were... You had quite a different take on all that. You hate that we talk about that a lot. Um, it, it, the magazine talks about that. I wanted to brush on that because um, you, you said a line in in Five Hundred that was like, you know, it's it. Yeah, it's dangerous and it's risky, and but it's fun. And what else are you going to do with yourself? 
Um, do we belabor this point too much in our sport? Yeah, I still think that. And it's terrible to see friends get hurt. Um, it's terrible to see friends get hurt unnecessarily, I guess is how I would like to say that. Mm -hmm. But yeah, we do. And in our society, we need stunt people. And we need people that are willing to push it. You know, in no other sport I do people get so worked up about other people getting hurt. Mm. Pick up a skateboarding magazine and it doesn't talk about broken legs. Pick up a mountain bike magazine. It doesn't talk about injuries. Surfing. Um, snowmobiling. Dirt biking. You know, do I've been I've been learning to backcountry ski lately and the Avalanche Awareness Group, those people, they're on the forefront and and even that with a lot more people backcountry skiing than the numbers of deaths per year are less. Why did fourteen people die this year? I I don't know. Do we need to talk about it amongst ourselves? Yeah, we need to work on being smarter, but to just belabor these points of people dying and fill our magazines with accident reports, I don't think that that is going to help grow the sport. You know, climbing, climbing, I believe the American Alpine Journal does an annual accident summary. Mm -hmm. you have to buy. That would be something if if the magazine wanted to do that you know and since we did 500 miles to nowhere there's there's not accident reports in the magazine anymore mm. there's there's an accident column that i recently read um you know and it, again it's talking about safety but we're jumping off the side of a hill on modified bed sheets and shoestrings and to what at least you and i and joy is super dynamic air. That's not going to be safe. Yeah. Um, let's not kid people that it's going to be safe. Mm -hmm. Let's not kid ourselves that it's going to be safe. Let's appreciate it. And enjoy it. And try and get good at it. And give respect to the people who are better than us at it. Um, let's learn from our mistakes. You know, I've been lucky I haven't been hurt yet. Is it coming? Probably. But I think I have to be honest that it's, it's out there, you know, and am, am I, do I believe that I'm better than everybody else rock, uh, yeah. that's been hurt? No, you know, I've, I've been yeah. lucky. Yeah. Is it yeah. better to be lucky than good? Yeah. Sure. Yeah. I want to put that in perspective with where we live, with the Wood River Valley. Um, I believe the world record's going to go down here. Uh, I'm pretty psyched about living here in a place that that could happen. You're about the most excited person in this valley to be in this valley, but tell me about flying here. What's so special about it? I think we're pretty lucky because... You know, we've got the, the interface of the, the desert and the mountains, so we have 
the hot, dry desert, and we have the alpine, um, you know, in, in the little contest that we're surrounded by mountain ranges. Every, not everywhere else, but most other places, people fly up and down one mountain range. Um, in our contest, in the little contest we put on in the end of July, I think people flew on 10 different mountain ranges. There's roads in the valleys. There's places to land everywhere. This summer, I, this spring, I went to Washington and to, to BC to go flying. And it's terrifying because everything is forest mm. and there's nowhere to land. And around here, we can land anywhere. So it makes it pretty comfortable to commit to where you need to go to. Maybe you're gonna have a four hour walk, but so what? Mm. Um, when you get to the road, hitchhiking works for sure. Somebody's gonna pick you up. Um, it's strong. I, I do enjoy that. Mm. It's scenic. We have really no airspace. Um, we have no people. <laughs> it is anybody that listens to this podcast that enjoys big alpine paragliding. I would like to invite you to come to the Wood River Valley. That's what we. That's what we want. We want people to come. Come check it out. I think. I think July is the best time of year. Um, and I, you know, I think. I think that's how we're going to learn. And you know, like. Like everything, there's, to me, the beauty of the Wood River Valley is that there's nobody here. You know, there's, our club has 20 people in it. 10 of those people are active. Yeah. Um, you know, it's not uncommon to go to take off on a good cross-country day and be the only person on launch. Mm. That, would it be fun to have more people here? Yeah. But is it fun to be alone? Totally. You know? You're... So let's... Let's end it on your big flight. Um, what was... What was... Was that on your... Multiple questions here. Um, you know, a few weeks before you did that, Matt flew 193 miles. 186. 186. You flew 193? Or you flew 198. Okay. Um, so... When Matt did that, I was in Europe and I was really getting my first kind of bigger flights and that, you know, that traveled around the internet like crazy, like wildfire and it blew me away. I just had no idea that that was, I knew you guys had been doing big flights over here for a long time, but that was just a whole nother realm. Um, was that part of it? And then, you know, in, in terms of just inspiring you, um, but also was it, were you, you know, did you set off? set out that spring to be like, I'm going to go 200 miles this year, or I'm going to fly deep into Montana this year. Was that something that was always on your radar? It had been for years, or was that something that had just happened? And what was required to, what were the steps to get to that point? Not just skill-wise, but what was, you know, what was your mindset that year to make that happen? Uh... I, you know, like I've touched on a little bit, mindset's really important. Um, you know, I, to do big things, I have to be in the right headspace. Um, I'm really lucky. My wife is really supportive. You know, so 
I try to be a good husband all year, but especially in the spring, I really try to be a good husband so that we have a, you know, I, I need to have a good home, you know, and make that a good scene. And that makes it, that makes it really easy for me to be all in. Um, and every day I go to the hill, I'm going as far I want to fly as far as I possibly can. You know, that... I love the fact that we go do something and somebody's asked me where I'm going to go and I say, I have no idea. There's nothing else that we do where you just go and end up somewhere. Yeah. And not only do you go and end up somewhere, you really get to charge on the way there. You're all in, you know, you... You get to go a little bit crazy, yeah. and you're all by yourself, and nobody thinks you're weird for it, or maybe they do. You know, yeah, like, yeah. I, I don't know. Um, so yeah, I got my home life was in a good order, and and she's super supportive, and she understands completely, um, and she really she really inspires me and motivates me and and pushes me isn't the right word you know because she's not pushy but she helps me do what I want to do um and that day on takeoff I'm pretty sure that day on takeoff there was nobody on takeoff no you were alone um and so I was you know I was ready to fly cross country as far as possible um you know and the flight was magnificent I think I had a 40-mile stretch in Montana on the side of a cloud street between 14 and 17 where if I got too low, I just would duck under the clouds and as I got too high, I'd just work out to the left and just leave Fly the street and just glide. And at the end of the day, I was in new country, what I now know is the tobacco routes. Um, but I was gliding into the mountain range and it was like 6 o'clock in the evening And I had a pretty funny thought in my head. I was like, man, Evil Knievel jumps over canyons, but I'm going to jump over a fucking mountain range. (laughs) Watch this. (laughs) And I just glided deep into the range, and I got a nice climb up over the range in the evening light and had a super sweet glide. And I flew out, and I landed in the ladies' field, I landed in a field and a lady in a pickup truck drove out, you know, like a 50 year old lady. And she said, you're not going to camp here, are you? And I said, good God, ma'am, I hope not. (laughs) (laughs) And she said, well, what are you doing? And I tried to explain that I'd flown my paraglider there from Sun Valley. And because I wasn't camping there, she was elated. (laughs) And she drove me into town in the Three Forks. And I called my mom, like you do when you land, and I told her I was in Three Forks. <laughs> and she said, oh, hun, there's the nicest hotel there. <laughs> and I said, oh, mom, I, I'm all right. You know, I can sleep outside tonight. And I hung up with mom, and about a minute later, I didn't know it, but I was standing in front of the hotel, and a lady walks out of the hotel with a glass of champagne and says, son, your mom got you a room for no the evening. Way. <laughs> So that was really cool. And then I went in and and I had dinner on my mom and spent the night in this cool old railway hotel. And I called my good friend, um, 
and ski partner Christian Nickham, who's got an airplane. And I said, hey, Christian, I'm, I'm in Montana. And he said, I'm on my way. And the next no morning he was way. there at nine o'clock in the morning and we got to fly the whole route in reverse. Oh, bitchin'. That was amazing. really cool. So you were just outside of Bozeman. Yeah. Yeah, wow, that's cool. That's yeah. a big flight. That's fun. Somebody will make it to Bozeman and then they'll make it a long way more. Yeah, 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 yeah. Well, that next summer we got pretty close. We were on the Madison River there that day. Yeah. That was pretty exciting. Well, cool, Nate. Um, I really appreciate it. That's that's all I've got for you, and that was a really good talk. I think people are going to love that, and uh, thanks a lot. Thanks for your time. Thank you. Well, I hope you enjoyed that. I certainly did. Uh, Nate has been a constant inspiration to uh, myself and a whole bunch of other people over the years. Uh, if you enjoyed the podcast, as always, uh, in in the uh, in following in the footsteps of one of my favorite podcasts with Dan Carlin, Hardcore History, uh, all we ask for is a buck a show. Uh, it goes a long ways. You guys have all been really generous uh, with your donations. I appreciate very appreciate it very much. Uh, it keeps me going with this. I'm going to do it anyway. I love it. I think it's just fantastic bringing this knowledge to the flying world. Hope you enjoy it. If you did, uh, please feel free to share it with your friends and family and. Um, see you next time on the podcast. Cheers.